Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with God's command for fairness as we pick up in Exodus chapter 23, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Thou shalt not raise a false report, perjury, to put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. In other words, conspiracy uh, in perjury. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. You're not to get into a riotous situation. Neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. Now, the poor man, look also at verse 6. Thou shalt not rest the judgment of the poor in his cause. First of all, you shall not countenance the poor in his cause. Then you're not to rest the judgment of the, thy poor in the cause. In other words, the judgment has to be fair. And you're not to countenance him just because he's poor, nor are you to wrest judgment from him because he is poor. In other words, his, his condition financially should have nothing to do with the judgment. The judgment has to be a fair judgment. Not giving him an advantage because he is poor, neither are you to give him a disadvantage because he is poor. You're not to take that into consideration. Judgment is to be fair across the board. If a man meet your enemy's ox or his ass going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. Now, that's hard to do. If you see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden, and you wouldn't forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. If you see your neighbor's donkey and it's just sort of collapsed under the burden and you just walk by, that's not right. God wants you to be kind towards the animals. You're to help it, even though the neighbor hates you and you've got a big feud going with him. That animal isn't got a feud going with you. And you should be merciful towards the animal. God wants us to be merciful towards animals. Keep thee far from a false matter. And the innocent and the righteous lay thou not, for I will not justify the wicked. And thou shalt take no gift. Now these are to the judges. They're not to take any gift. For the gift blinds the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. So judges weren't to receive gift lest they would be influenced by that gift and would not give true judgment. Also thou shalt not oppress a stranger. For you know the heart of a stranger, seeing you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now six years you shall sow the land and gather the fruits. But the seventh year, we get the six and one pattern again. And we've already talked about the six years of sowing. The seventh year, let the ground rest, let it lie still, that the poor of thy people may eat and leave what they leave to the beast of the field. And in like manner thou shalt deal with a vineyard deal with the vineyard and with the olive yard. In other words, the seventh year, it just is for the poor people. Uh, let it just rest. Whatever grows up naturally, whatever seeds were left in the ground, let it grow, let the poor go out and gather it. Six days thou shalt do thy work. On the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may rest, and that the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. 
And in all things that I have said unto you, be circumspect, be careful, keep it carefully, and make no mention of the name of other gods, neither let it be heard out of thy mouth. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. So we have a Thanksgiving feast. They had three feasts. The first one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The second one is the Feast of Passover, which takes place 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread when you are bringing in the first of your winter grains. And so it's the first fruits of the winter grain that is brought in there in June the wheat, the winter wheat that they have sown. The third feast was equivalent to our Thanksgiving feast, and it takes place in the harvest time of the year. Uh, when you have gathered of thy labors out of the field, the third feast, and it's equivalent to our Thanksgiving. So three times in the year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord God. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with unleavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain till morning. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring unto the house of Jehovah thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's mouth. Now, from this little scripture, the Jews have created the whole interpretation of not eating dairy products with meat products at any mill. Because the law says, thou shalt not see the kid in, thy, in its mother's mouth. So they refused to eat any meat and dairy products together because of this little scripture. Now what is the scripture actually prohibiting? If you kill a little goat to eat it, you're not to boil it in its own mother's milk. That's what the law is prohibiting. But they say that if you eat the shish kebab and you're also eating cheese at the same meal, you don't know but what that cheese was made from the mother's milk and that in your stomach, the churning and boiling, the, the meat of the kid is being seed in its mother's milk in your stomach. And, and so they, they really are, are very, very religious about this today. You go to Jerusalem and it's even those that don't believe in God follow the kosher habits of eating. They, they won't drink milk at a meal where they have meat, nor will... And it's, it's, it's so sad because they have such delicious rolls and they serve you margarine because you're having meat to eat. They will not mix any dairy products with meat products at a meal lest they be guilty of seeding a kid in its mother's milk. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said to the Pharisees, hey, you strain it in that and you swallow a camel. Now, why would they strain at a, a net? Because you're not to eat anything that hasn't been thoroughly bled. So if you're jogging along and a gnat gets in your mouth and gets stuck in your throat, you'd see these guys putting their finger down, trying to heave and do everything, coughing and carrying on horribly, trying to get that gnat out. 
Because, man, if you eat that gnat, you know, that hasn't been bled thoroughly, you violated the law. And there's no way they're going to swallow that gnat. And you'd see them really coughing and heaving and doing this big thing. And, and Jesus, hey, you know, you're straining at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. You know, they, they, in other areas, just glossed things, changed things, misinterpreted things to where they could get by with horrible things. And yet on the little, little issues, oh, did they get so picky on the little insignificant issues. But the major issues of justice and mercy and that, you know, they, they just interpreted right around those. And so Christ after them on these things. Now the Lord is promising when he, they go into the land that he's going to send an angel before them to keep them in the way and to bring them into the place which God has prepared. I believe that this angel, of course, is Jesus Christ. The Lord said, Beware of him, obey his voice, provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies, an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel shall go before thee and bring thee into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You remember when Joshua was going out looking over the city of Jericho, he saw the captain of the Lord's host, and he said, Are you for us or against us? And the angel answered, as the captain of the Lord's host have I come. So the Lord's host, the angel of the Lord going before them to lead them in. And many Bible scholars accept this as one of the appearances of Christ, the theophany, an appearance of God in the Old Testament, actually in the person of Christ. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, that is, of the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and so forth. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do any of their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in the land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. I will make all thine enemies turn their backs to thee. I will send hornets before thee. I shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. So these are the blessings. These are the things I'm going to do for you, predicated upon your serving me. These are the benefits, the fringe benefits of serving me. I will do all of these things. I'll go before you. I'll drive out the enemy and so forth. Now, this in this, we find the principles of God's victory and the way he brings forth victory in our lives for these Jebusites and Hivites and so forth are a type of the 
giants in our flesh. Coming into the promised land is coming into the life of the Spirit and the victory of the Spirit, the overcoming life. Coming out of the wilderness, out of the yo-yo Christian experience where you're up and down and up and down into a beautiful, victorious, overcoming life in Christ Jesus. A life of victory. A life after the Spirit, not after the flesh. And these enemies that were in the land represent those aspects of our flesh where it so often has defeated us and conquered us. But God is promising victory over anger, over anxiety, over fears, over temper, over any area of the flesh where you are in bondage to your own flesh. God is promising you the victory. But it comes one area at a time, little by little. I won't drive them all out in one year. God doesn't just give you instant perfection, but we're growing in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so the processes of God's victory are reiterated for us here. Until we inherit the land. I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even to the Sea of the Philistines, which would be the Mediterranean, and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor with their gods. Now in a little while, as we move on, we're going to find that they violated this commandment and they made a covenant with the Gibeonites and we'll deal with the problems that came from the disobedience of this command. They shall not dwell in thy land lest they make thee sin against me for if thou serve their gods, it will be a snare to you. And it was. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but thou shalt not come near, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came up and told the people all the words of the Lord and the judgments. And all of the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said, we will do. Words are sure cheap. Here Moses lays upon them all these judgments. They said, oh, everything the Lord said, we will do. Oh, God, everything I have belongs to you. Words are sure cheap, aren't they? It's too bad. Because it isn't what I say that really counts. It's what I do. And so Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. He rose up early in the morning. He built an altar under the hill with 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent the young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. Moses took half the blood, put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, 
which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. And so this experience of sprinkling the people with the blood from these sacrifices and so forth, the blood covenant is referred to in the book of Hebrews. And as we were going through the book of Hebrews, we dealt with all of the things under the law, sanctified with the blood, for without the shedding of blood was nothing sanctified. And how the new covenant that we have in Christ, of course, was also sanctified through the blood of Christ, the better covenant. This was the old covenant that was disannulled. This is the old covenant that didn't work. Why? Because the old covenant was predicated upon the people doing these things. It was predicated upon the people's faithfulness. The people weren't faithful. So God has established in Christ a new covenant that is predicated now upon the faithfulness of God to do what he said he would do. Now, because the new covenant is predicated upon God's faithfulness, the new covenant will stand. It cannot fail because God will not fail. So I thank God for the new covenant relationship that I have with God through Jesus Christ, a covenant that cannot fail. I'm sure God's going to do all that he has said he is going to do through Christ. And now it's not predicated upon my doing, but my believing in God and in that work of Jesus Christ. Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, as the body of heaven in clearness. So they saw God. They saw the glassy sea before the throne of God. John describes it, the sea of glass, crystal, before the throne of God. Now you say, wait a minute. What do you mean they saw God? Because in the Gospel of John, John declares, no man hath seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath manifested him. What does it mean then they saw God? I don't know. But I have to compare Scripture with Scripture. And the fact that we read, No man hath seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And the Scripture also declares that you cannot see God and live. I must assume that when it declares, And they saw the God of Israel and this crystal sea that they saw him perhaps in a vision form as Isaiah and as Ezekiel and as others saw God in a vision form but did not actually see God himself which is impossible for man to do no man has seen God at any time and upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand, and they saw God and did eat and drink. That is, they fellowshiped with God. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me in the mount, and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone, and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. And so Moses rose up, and his minister, or his servant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said unto the elders, 
Tarry ye here for us, or wait here for us until we come again to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you, and if any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and the cloud covered the mount, and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud, and he got him up into the mount. And Moses was on the mount for 40 days and for 40 nights. And while he was there, God gave to him the details for the building of the tabernacle where God would come to meet the people of Israel. The meeting place for God to meet the people. And God gave him exact and specific dimensions and all for the tabernacle and for the things that were to be in the tabernacle. Now it is interesting, as God gives to him the design, he starts not with the tabernacle itself, but with the furnishings within the tabernacle. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Exodus on our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Exodus 23 through 24 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and keep you in the love of Jesus Christ. And may you experience God's hand upon your life as He trains, as He teaches, as He develops His work of love and grace within your life, as He prepares you for the future and for those things that He wants you to possess of His grace and of His glory. May the Lord strengthen you and cause your life to be a witness for Him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The Word for Today is pleased to present a flash drive of audio Bible studies by Kay Smith titled, A Collection of Cherished Messages. Just listen to what others are saying. Kay Smith changed my life. Her teachings encouraged me to want more of Jesus. And through her counsel and mentoring, I fell in love with Him in a deeper way. When I first heard Kay, I was driving in my car. 
I was so moved that it brought me to tears because I needed to repent. That moment impacted my life to be a better mom and who I am today. Renew your strength, please. I beg, I beseech, I entreat, and if there's any other word, I do that too. Get in His Word. Make it more than your necessary food every day. Kay Smith has a special place in her heart to teach and encourage women to live for Jesus. To order this flash drive with over 90 audio messages by Kay Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org or call 800-272-9673.